it's time for On the Couch with our resident psychologist, Jane Enter, exploring life and caring for our mental and spiritual well being on Bay FM 99.9. Welcome to our regular On the Couch segment with resident psychologist Jane Enter, based at First Light Healthcare, Byron Bay. Today, we're taking a close look at psychedelic medicine. It's all the rage, especially here in our region. We'll explore the touted benefits and the potential risks. Jane Enter has some insight into this area. Great to speak with you again, Jane. Thanks, Fern, and lovely, of course, for you to have me back again. Look, most people in our region are aware of psychedelics. We know many people who take them, uh, no doubt, and uh, have tried them. I myself know quite a few people that uh, take ayahuasca uh, regularly. For people who don't know much about psychedelics, can you just uh, start off by giving us a, a quick overview Look, most psychedelics um, tap into serotonin receptor sites, normally the 5H pathways. And what this does is it releases these incredible feelings and helps alter your sensory and um, visual perceptions. And you can have extreme and profound experiences on them, which can be life-changing for some people in the right circumstances in the right place. So a lot of people say it opens my mind. I think it does because things like time becomes a a relative concept and you realise that time can pass more slowly or quicker and that it's not a fixed thing. Colours can be more vivid. You can feel things um, sensually that that are incredibly, um, you, you feel it intensely as opposed to the way you normally feel it. You have altered perceptions and experiences that are mind-opening in that it, it challenges the way that normally you experience the world. But are these generally just temporary or can they last and be life-changing? Look, I think in the right circumstances, integrated and grounded, they can be life-changing and life-altering because it helps you form a different worldview and have a different experience of reality. Mm. These are also described as indigenous traditional medicine because they generally grow naturally or are derived from plants that grow naturally and uh, have been taken by native people in various parts of the world for a a very long time. Tell us about this, how they've been seen and taken in these traditional cultures. Um, Traditionally, of course, in places like South America, you had shamans. And these substances were generally used in ritual and ceremonial events where they were marking things, transitions in people or particular times of the year or particular events, which they wanted to mark as profound and significant. So they were used in a way where 
events were were really grounded into the significance and importance of them. They weren't just everyday things you took to get out of it. Mm, and they were done in ceremony. Yes, there was a form, a shape to them, a ritual. They were taken in a way that was respectful and, um, you know, often people, for example, with ayahuasca had a very clean diet beforehand, no meat, no toxins, no alcohol. You know, they, they ate very cleanly and they prepared themselves for the ceremonial and and sort of ritualistic mm. experience of taking one of these substances. So a deep respect for the substance itself. Yes, and a deep respect for the profound experience and the value of it and the potential benefits of it and the the kind of using it with care and moderation and in a way that was for a purpose and for a meaning. And done in a communal way and with supports. Yes, done done with a group who were supportive and with people who had done it before so they could support the others who hadn't. And a leader to, you know, explain and do the ceremonial aspects and to ground it and to make sure that everyone in that group who were taking it were well looked after and supported during their trip. Tell us about some of the medicinal or therapeutic benefits uh, that we know of. Look, it's an interesting one because people report their own individual experiences. So I'd like to talk a little bit about two. One MDMA, although it's not a psychedelic per se, it, it has the same effect in that it you know, releases lots of serotonin in the brain. And say, for example, psilocybin magic mushrooms. With um, MDMA, they have been doing research for a very long time, and in fact from the 50s and 60s, I think, or maybe the 60s, it was used in couple therapy to help couples express and get closer, and it, it had really good benefits. And what people report with MDMA and what research is showing is that When you are going into a therapy session, which is a guided MDMA experience, you are able to have incredibly warm, beneficial, beautiful feelings while at the same time being able to discuss the most difficult and awful events of your life. So MDMA, for example, is used a lot with people who've had trauma. Why? Because often when people have had trauma, they find it very hard to speak the unspeakable because they're so um, terrified of speaking it because it's so painful. And those painful feelings are a real detriment to, to have to feel while you're talking about these awful events that may have happened to you. But when you have MDMA, that frontal lobe bit which says don't say that don't do this it goes offline so you are able to speak the unspeakable while feeling this incredible sense of well-being at the same time which makes you able to look at and discuss events that 
you can still feel okay inside while you're discussing and exploring them. And that is an incredibly wonderful thing to be able to do in therapy. But again, under good therapeutic guidance and support to see one, what you want to do in the therapeutic session and two, afterwards for a few more sessions to make sure that what you brought out in these MDMA guided sessions actually gets grounded and integrated back into your life. Mm. And with psilocybin, <clears throat> that is what they call a theogenic you know, it helps you feel a spiritual connection to the world and something greater than yourself. And what they found is that people, for example, who are depressed or who have, you know, really negative thoughts, they have a feedback loop in their brain, which is their default position. And it's all very well to have um, cognitive behavioral therapy and various other things, but <clears throat> it takes a lot of effort and practice to go to new ways of, as opposed to when under stress or triggered by something, back to your default position. Mm -hmm. What they found with psilocybin is that actually in that process, you can form new ways of seeing the world and new pathways and actually have an experience that is not your default position in a very real and meaningful way. And that then helps you later when you are um, having, you know, negative feelings to connect to that set of ways of perceiving and new thinking that you wouldn't have been able to do because you'd have gone to your default position. Mm. So it has good effects, but again, under guidance with a trusted person who does the right thing by you. There's a lot more official interest in these medicines right now, a renewed interest, and also medical cannabis, of course, especially with the pharmaceutical companies moving in. And we'll talk about that a bit later. But they're generally still illegal in most places all around the world, aren't they? Yes, they are. And, um, of course, they're still used, regardless of whether they're legal or not. But... The benefits of them are now outweighing the sort of moral view that they're bad things. And I think that we're more open-minded to seeing the benefits of these substances hopefully used in the correct way and the correct environment to help benefit people's mental well-being. Look, we'll come back to look at the role of Big Pharma now in pushing these medicines now. There's a lot of hype but I understand that you have some concerns about the risks that are less talked about. What are some of these? Look, in the 60s and 70s, often people would have MDMA. And, and unfortunately, boundaries in those environments weren't often kept. So there were times when therapists would cross those boundaries with their clients in erotic and sensual ways. And there was an article that I read recently where that had happened again with somebody who had gone to see a MDMA therapist. And I suppose what I want to say is really clearly, nothing is a universal panacea. It doesn't matter what substance you take, you have to do the work with it. And you have to hopefully do it in a way that is with somebody who you trust, who is experienced, who is professional, 
who will maintain their boundaries and make sure the session is about you and your well-being and not them. And yes, if you're not properly assessed and seen as uh, stable enough and um, secure enough to do it, it can have adverse effects on your sense of self and be quite fragmented. And you can have uh, flashback psychotic breakthroughs, which have been well reported and recorded. And if you then don't integrate the kind of insights that you got from the therapy into your life and into the fabric of your psyche, it's like you're doing something cathartic and wonderful, but where do we go with that? How does that improve your life long term? Well, talk some more about those adverse effects, because a lot of people are using MDMA and other drugs to escape and for recreation and partying. Well, look, because they're not using them in maybe a way that they were originally intended for, which was about growth and change and a a broader worldview and a greater sense of well-being, it's like using any substance. It can be repetitive and addictive and eventually you get nothing out of it. And that's pointless. It's, It's in the long term damaging and doesn't grow you because instead of dealing with your feelings and processing them you take a substance you don't do the work and you end up at 40 with the emotional uh, age of a 16 or 17 year old that's not helpful to people so but isn't the risk greater here because we're talking about mind altering you know hallucinogenic psychotic triggering potentially Uh, yes and no Yes, being people have reported having ongoing psychotic um, flashbacks, which are very disturbing. People have reported that they've lost their sense of self and felt quite fragmented. When you discuss with them what happened, they weren't assessed properly, they weren't setting therapeutic goals for the session or for the substance they were going to take and they weren't integrated and grounded afterwards. They did it in a way that was not honouring and ceremonial and helpful. Mm. And they have been quite disturbed, and some people have reported to me that they have taken a very long time to regain their sense of self. Mm. However, I want to say up front, the drug that costs us the most in terms of health and well-being and family relationships is alcohol, the legal one. So for all this, you know, ooh, LSD and ooh, it's all terrible, look at alcohol, here you go. It's advertised everywhere, it's a standard Australian worldwide thing and that is the one that puts more people in hospital and costs the health system and their families more than all the other drugs put together. And booze shops, don't forget, are an essential service. They were open during all the lockdowns. Of course, drink your way through COVID. (laughs) Very essential. But what's the worst that can happen? And what do you have many clients that uh, have adverse reactions? And how prevalent are psychedelics in people that are coming for help? And a few people um, may have had an adverse experience. Most people in discussion that I chat to that aren't necessarily clients of mine have had very positive experiences. The thing that may have been missing for people that I've spoken to who've experienced it, you know, 
when I'm out and about in the world, is that the profound insight that they had gained during the session had not been grounded and integrated back with follow-up sessions. So I'd say if you're going to go and search this stuff out before it's legalised and before people are properly trained, please... Make sure the person has the skills to assess you. Make sure you know what you want to get out of it. And make sure the person has the wisdom and care to follow up with you for a number of sessions to integrate what's happened. Mm. We're still learning, of course, about the therapeutic effects. There's a, a lot of research going on. Is one of the main problems you seem to allude to there the fact that there's no real protocols around this, especially about you know how much to take? And so on. Yes, you know, some people who've been doing it for a while know what to take. Um, some people, of course, have had a tolerance to it, so they go and see someone and their tolerance is higher than the dose they're given. So it's a trial by error thing for a number of people. But I think I'd like to say something on this. When people are prescribed antidepressants, how they get affected by it how it might affect their gut, how it might affect their mood. It's pretty loosely monitored in some ways. There aren't necessarily immediate follow-up appointments to check. They're not really warned about what to look for. And so often because, you know, people on antidepressants are left too long on them or they're not reviewed or their efficacy isn't checked, I have more hope that with psychedelics being researched and really well documented, that the experience of actually taking it with someone who knows what they're doing can follow up with you. Maybe, my hope is it will be done more carefully and with greater care and consideration by people who really understand what is being prescribed rather than antidepressants, which I think sometimes are prescribed in an ad hoc fashion. Mm. So it's been very useful to treat depression, post-traumatic stress disorder and so on. Yes, it has. It's had psilocybin, for example, has had, you know, wonderful results in um, treating resistant depressions. And um, obviously they've been using it in some trials for end-of-life stages, for people with chronic um, ongoing issues like um, COPD. And it's made people feel less anxious and feel like it's going to be okay. It's been a very calming and reassuring Mm. thing for them to have, and I think that's wonderful. Mm. And with MDMA and trauma, as I said, you get to speak the unspeakable while you actually feel okay speaking it. That is a gift. It's obviously not for everyone, though. Are there some people who simply shouldn't take psychedelics or who you think should stay away from them? Yes, I do. I think people who've had a history of psychosis in the family, who have a a grip on reality that's not always so firm. I think people in the middle of a crisis where they feel fragmented and ungrounded, that's unwise. I think people who are suicidal, that's unwise. I think you need to be in a held state where you 
the person who is about to do the session with you actually knows you, has a relationship with you, has known. And I don't believe you can assess someone in one session. Mm. Sorry, I think it's an ongoing thing and it takes a number of sessions, for me at least 20, before I feel really confident that, yep, I, I understand this person well enough to know them, to make better suggestions. I'm, I'm not somebody who can assess somebody in one session because you see one thing in one session and it takes a mm. long time to see more things. Mm. So I think if you have a therapist who's well-trained, who has done, um, the, the, um, has done some training and research in it and they know you, they're the best person to say whether they think you would be okay with it. But of course, most people that are taking psychedelics are not taking it in the therapeutic uh, process. They're doing it in friendship groups um, or communal groups, particularly ayahuasca. I know a whole group of people that take it very regularly. Um, is taking uh, psychedelics long term and regularly, is that ever an issue as well? Look, I haven't seen the research on that, so I, I can't comment with any knowledge. I would like to say that taking something very regularly to alter your mood, you've got to think why. You've got to think, what do I need to do as well as take this? What do I need to do between taking this? It's, people want a quick fix. They think, I'll just drop some acid and it's all going to be fine. Well, it's not. Mm. You need to address the things that you avoid regardless Life will come up and hit you again on the head to tell you what you need to look at. So you can practice avoidance, but eventually you will have to deal with the things that you're practicing avoiding. But I, I know quite a few people that uh, say that it's part of their ongoing spiritual journey. I think that's great, as long as that's what it is. And they're not um, at some level deluding themselves that it's their spiritual bypass to have a good feeling in a quick time. Nothing wrong with that, but say what it is for what it is. Jane, that recent article that you referred to, which I will add a link at the bottom of this podcast, it's titled Ending the Silence Around Psychedelic Therapy Abuse by Will Hall who's a U.S. therapist, teacher, and schizophrenia uh, diagnosis survivor. He says, if we end the war on drugs just by medicalizing psychedelics instead, we also risk unleashing another wave of pharma marketing and commercial profiteering in a society that is daily looking more and more like Aldous Huxley's pill-taking dystopia, Brave New World. What's new in the psychedelic renaissance is that at a time when other medications have lost their momentum, pharma and the mental health industry are moving in on the underground market in search of money and power. And to do it, they are rebranding psychedelic drugs as, well, not really drugs at all, but psychiatric treatments in order to position therapists and doctors at the centre of this new gold rush. They have to gloss over the fact that psychedelics, as weird, unpredictable, mind-shaking and life-altering as they can be, are still the same underground market of drugs. They intoxicate you, get you high and you come down. 
I think he makes really good points about use and abuse, about trying to make everything marketable and sellable and how we can fix you. We can fix you whether you're happy or unhappy. We can fix you whether you're not happy with the reality of your life. I think what we're not saying and doing is looking at the broader societal things that are happening in the world, which makes it very stressful for people with what is expected of them, the competitiveness that is happening, the fear with climate change that is real and here, the COVID pandemic that is, you know, a whole new challenge for people, unexpected. We're not looking at what's happening in our world socially, which makes things bloody difficult for most people to navigate. We're saying, hey, you, you've got an issue. You need to be fixed. Here's a pill. Mm -hmm. Instead of we as a society need to really look at our values and how we treat our members and how we are creating this world, which is not helpful or conducive to people's mental health and well-being. So that is the real danger of medicalising psychedelics like we have with every other drug. Yes, you remember Prozac was the happy pill, Valium was mother's little help helper. In other words, life is so stressful, we've got something to help you deal with it. Not, hey, you might need to change your life so it's not as stressful because if you keep having to take a pill to cope with the stress because you need to avoid it because it's so hectic for you, Rather, let's look at the root thing, and that is to change the stress. We could potentially be creating more addictions. Of course. We, you know, we all want a pill that just makes life easier and better. But the fact is, that's what I have said earlier in the show. You have to do the work. You have to learn about you and what's important to you and what your values are and what kind of life works for you and what kind of level of pressure works for you because you're an individual. And you will march to the drum that that is your drum. And if you keep trying to march to everyone else's drum, you're going to need the pill. Mm. Try and do your own drum. Addictions will be a whole other separate program that we'll do. And the ongoing work that we all need to do is at the essence of this On the Couch series with Jane Enter. Jane, before I let you go, your advice to people currently taking or thinking of uh, trying out psychedelic drugs for therapeutic reasons? Talk to people, do your research, and I don't mean the google.com research, (laughs) I mean real research. Contact universities, ask them, speak to people in the States um, who have actually been doing it. Read books. Really think about what you're doing and why you want to do it. And make sure that you have someone in your life, hopefully a really good therapist or someone who really knows you, that can say to you, hey, I'd be careful of this or I would look at that. And, you know, make a decision that's well-informed for yourself, not that's built on a hype and a whim. And so psychedelics aren't something generally that you would just take by yourself? No, because you need to be prepared, you need someone with you, you need to know what to expect, you need to be talked through it, it needs to be safe. 
I think it can be very dangerous when you do it on your own and you don't really know what you're doing or what you can expect. You can get quite terrified and that's really not pleasant. Look, I just want to go back to a point, Fern. You said, can it ever be abused? And I'd like to say in my observation, yes. How? Well, I meet people who've used it every weekend or every month. And what I find is that, you know, it's a life opening and mind opening experience which they then retract into a very small group of people where their reality is the reality and they discount other people's realities and there seems to be like a, a an airy watery um, view of the world which is not grounded and connected and I think that it's like they've sort of semi-left here and they're living in a spiritual world where actually this is all just you know a mirage and it's not really happening and there's a higher more important world out there and that makes those people quite hard to connect with at times because their reality they often say is superior to the current reality of everyone else and I find that disconnect really disturbing because it's supposed to in some ways give you this mind-opening experience which able which reconnects back to your life and to be mind open to other people. So there's a danger that they can uh, cocoon themselves in a in a bubble and disconnect from the outside world and from others that aren't sharing their experience. Yes, and I often see a moral superiority come in where they, they have a relationship with the spiritual world that us plebeians don't really understand and it's so much bigger. And it is sure but come back and connect with people and share your experience and don't discount other people's just tell us the ideal setting when you're taking these before we let you go well this is what i've always imagined that i would do if i ever got into it i would find somebody i really trusted who knew what they were doing who were experienced in in the use of medicinal psychedelics I would have talked to them for a few sessions before. I would have said, these are the stuck points in my life. This is my default position. This is what I'd like to change. I would hope that then we would have a session together and they would ask me insightful and relevant questions while I was on that substance that would have revelations that we would then have follow-up sessions that were integrated into my understanding of myself that I could then practice and live out in day-to-day living. And I would hope that place would be warm and beautiful and have a gorgeous setting and that it would feel like a real experience of wanting to know myself with a little help. Mm. Jane Enter, as always, you've been a wealth of information. Thank you very much for speaking to us again. Thank you very much, Fern. On our next On the Couch, we explore death and dying. Is the fear of death what drives us and the worm at the core of mental health? Hope you can join us then.